Well, hello and welcome to a brand new podcast called The Wine List. My name is Oliver Turnbull and I'm joined by my friend of 30 years, uh, Richard Lane. Hello, Richard. Hey, good evening, all. I can't believe we're doing this. We're doing a podcast and it's all about wine and what could be better. Well, exactly. And I suppose in the first episode, it's best to explain a little bit why we decided to do this rather than just be, you know, two blokes having a lovely chat over a glass of wine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good idea. Basically, although I've known Richard for decades, we have sort of very different taste in certain things. One, Richard is a bit of a wine buff and we'll we'll, uh, talk a little bit about how that's happened in a while. But as I've grown older, I've moved from being that boy from Yorkshire who likes a beer to quite enjoying a glass of wine but being completely ill-educated in it and also being totally intimidated when I see a wine list because I don't know where to look first I can't remember what I liked last time I don't know what goes with what food I don't understand what appellation means what the names mean I know a little bit about grapes and I thought well I wonder if there's a lot of people out there like me who would, you know, appreciate that education from 101 to a little bit advanced No, you're the only only one all (laughs) We have a listenership of None. None. Even that doesn't matter because I quite, I I very much enjoy having chats with you, of course. And um, I'll learn as I go along and we'll probably drink a a couple of wines as we go. So it's a win-win. I suppose we should talk a little bit about you, Richard, and why you've come on this journey with wine and what makes you the perfect person to um, educate me. So when did it all start? Very quickly, if we go back 30 years to when we were, had a very quiet time sharing a flat in South London, wine didn't feature massively, as you've already alluded to, it's probably more pints in the pub and maybe a glass of whiskey. Maybe the old glass of Rioja, I think, was our go-to wine and still like it. And that it. was quite sophisticated. We were know, very sophisticated. Yeah. I can, yeah, absolutely. And for years and years, I liked wine, but like yourself, didn't know much about it. Gradually knew a tiny bit about it, but never really thought about it. Certainly didn't analyse it too much. And then bizarrely enough, of, of all the places... Belfast in Northern Ireland, sitting in a garden on a really chilly evening with some friends who suddenly said, oh, do you want to taste these wines? What do you think? And I suddenly tasted two or three wines because our friend was a bit of a buff. He was a member of the wine society where he'd got his wines from. And I tasted these wines and I thought, gosh, they're delicious. They're diverse. They all tasted so different. There was a kind of clarity about them and a kind of beauty about them. And I was just enthralled. And around that time, our good friend mutual friend Rami who we've been dining out with and he, Rami's been our wine list expert for many years he said to me why don't you Rich try doing some a bit of more formal education WSET wine and spirit education trust run courses from basic level one right up to level four which is the diploma professional qualification and I got hooked on that and then rather nicely coincidentally had a year out with Liz my wife and our dog Topper in southwest France living in a wine region uh, close to Bergerac which was lovely and only up the road from Bordeaux so clearly the old wine hooter got going a bit more then that was sort of 2017-2018 by the time we came back from France I was just desperate to know even more so I quickly enrolled on the level four diploma program because I'd done the other levels before we went to France and here we are 2021 and I'm happy to say I'm relatively recently qualified diploma so I've got Richard Lane dip WSET and I've just qualified as as a certified WSET educator so um, I am not a master of wine in case anyone's wondering that that oh. would be a, that would be no I'm sorry to well, disappoint on. you should we finish the podcast now well <laughs> thanks all it's nice speaking to you yeah uh, hang on a minute that was it no not at all uh, all those letters sounded very impressive 
impressive to me or a very bad Scrabble hand. Yeah, I mean, basically, I've just loved it. And it's gone from being something I wanted to know more about to suddenly a career change. So at the moment, transitioning into teaching for WSET, wine at the level that I started at sort of five years ago. It's brilliant. And uh, let me formally congratulate you. It's great that we can have these career changes at our time of life. I mean, we're in our 50s now, just about. Uh, in fact, I've just hit 55. In fact, and- well, I think you'll find you're getting well into your 50s <laughs> and I'm a couple of years behind you, yes. You are now a, a, could be a qualified wine taster, so you're more than qualified to teach me a few things. Uh, and I think you sympathised with my intimidation by the wine list. You've had this sort of uh, revelation thing in Northern Ireland and maybe this will be the revelation thing for me because I need some structure to my education, you know. I've taste a wine at someone's house a lovely Chablis or whatever and go that was delicious and then forget completely why I liked it what it tasted of and what I need to do to order it or find it again no totally I'll, I'm, I'm really happy to do it and it is sort of infinite this is the amazing thing about wine because obviously at one level wine is an alcoholic drink sometimes people just don't even a lot of people just don't think about it they think god I could murder a glass of wine had a stressful day whatever and that's what they do the beauty about it it's a bit like music or literature or other aspects of life you might be interested in you can get as engrossed and in, in depth as, as, as much as you are able to or, or, or want to and also of course the really important thing that you've just touched on is that is about demystifying wine because I think a lot of people think that wine is somehow some sort of slightly cliquey kind of world that people go into and they've got to know lots of things and they've almost got to impress people with their wine knowledge but at the same time there is no shortcut to to becoming really knowledgeable about wine so I think we need to be honest and say doing a podcast is fabulous and I really hope that all you're going to learn a lot uh, in this series but of course we're not doing you know a wine course here online this is a chat this is a podcast folks like WSCT is what, what it's all about and who knows people by the end of this series may be thinking maybe I should give one of those courses a go. Yeah, I mean, it's highly practical. I mean, that's right. It's 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 designed, isn't it, for the numpty, really, i.e. me, to just learn as much as I can. And I am willing to put in some work, uh, lifting a few glasses, by the way. Uh, in order to heavy lifting. Uh, in order to, heavy lifting. Yeah, the heavy the lifting. glass. <laughs> in order to, to um, help us through. But but you're right. Yeah, it's not a training course. It's 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 supposed to be entertaining and fun. I've got my glasses uh, here. I've got my corkscrew and I've got a wine bucket. So I'm really prepared. Excellent. Uh, let's start, I suppose, with the basics. How should I break it down in terms of, I mean, w- what's the difference between a nose and a palate? And, and how do these things intertwine? And, and do I need to know? And is it important? This series is of 10 episodes, we're going to cover, you know, diverse areas. In this episode, and by the way, I think we need a sip of wine very, very soon all. So get that white wine out of that bucket and get okay, it warming up a bit. Because actually one of the first rules with white wine, sometimes people just serve it too cold. We should first of all say that we've got, we're tasting two wines tonight before I answer your question about structure and all that sort of stuff. We are starting, I think, all with two really, dare I say, I think, really really good choices because people will recognize them our white wine is a sauvignon blanc from new zealand and it's called i think this is how you pronounce it infinity it's like infinity but with a v infinity or infinity how do we pronounce that all I would go for Infinity, wonderful pun, and it does have on the bottle, if you look at the bottle, it has had a, an infinity sign, so that put me off to begin with, but it is, yes, you say, as you say, it's Infinity, Invinity. let's call it that. And then a little later on, we're going to hear a popping sound from your brand new corkscrew, and we're going to have a little sip of a good, simple claret. And I've chosen that all because I remember you saying to me, what were our first experiences of wine? And we're talking in the 1970s when we grew up, golly, there was hardly any wine in my 
parents' house. And I remember you telling me about um, your parents and having having a bit of Bordeaux, having a bit of claret with Sunday lunch. Yeah, Dad loved a claret, still does. Rattling on at 92, still going on about a claret and giving giving me a claret when I go up. And it was always delicious. And that always reminds me of home. So thank you, Richard. What a lovely choice. Yeah, I thought that your comfort zones uh, all seemed a good place to start. I think it's great that we're starting 12,000 miles away in the South <laughs> Island of New Zealand. So lovely. yeah, have a little um, pour all into your okay. glass and then we can talk about structure and aromas and taste and that sort of thing. It's a screw top and we'll find out in later episodes whether screw top means bad or good or indifferent. But anyway. Indeed. There we go. Right. Um, shall I just leave it to stand or am I going to actually taste it? No, no, no. This is not a museum piece. We're going to get involved with this glass of wine. So, I mean, the thing about New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, I mean, golly, it is just such a phenomenal success. Any idea when New Zealand, the first harvest was, the year of the first harvest of Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc from New Zealand? Have a guess. Golly, I, that absolutely, I could be centuries out. Um, so why don't I say something like, the year I was born, 1966. Wrong, wrongy, wrongy. Um, but not a bad guess, actually. No, believe it or not, Marlborough knocked out its first Sauvignon Blanc vintage in 1979. Oh, okay. We're talking a history of 40 years only. It's yeah, just yeah. extraordinary. New Zealand and viticulture was just never considered. Everyone thought it was too cold to make wine there. There used to be a company called Montana. They're now called Brancott Estate, which people may have heard of. They planted um, vines in, in Marlborough in 1973, which produced that first crop of wine in 1979. So the story of New Zealand wine is incredibly young and incredibly successful because in the 1980s, they started exporting this stuff, particularly to the UK, as around the same time Australia did. And it absolutely took the world by storm. Why do you think that was? Was it the, the cheapness, the novelty? It was really good? There are so many reasons why that. And this kind of, well, taste the wine in a second. One of the reasons is just the unique style of wine. So we're going to talk a little bit about wine styles during this series all because you might just think, oh, well, Sauvignon Blanc, that's Sauvignon Blanc. Well, it is, but there's a Marlborough style of Sauvignon Blanc, which is very different to a Loire Valley France style of Sauvignon Blanc or a Californian version of Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. The climate and one of our episodes is going to, in fact, our next episode, we're going to be talking a lot about climate and terroir. But in terms of just very simply for talking about New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, where is Marlborough? It's at the top of the South Island of New Zealand. I was going to ask that because we talk about things like Marlborough and stuff. And some of these names are really, really disconcerting for a novice. So Marlborough is an area just like Bordeaux is an area. Is yeah, right? yeah. It's a region okay. at the top of the South Island of New Zealand. Now, I'll we're talking too much and we're not sniffing and, and, and tasting yeah. enough. Yeah, Stick yeah. your nose in the glass. What does it smell of to you? What aromas do you get? Well, it smells very familiar because I, I do drink Sauvignon Blanc, as you know. And by the way, I've just realised a ridiculously simple question, stupid question. Sauvignon Blanc is a grape variety. I think Absolutely. that's got to be made clear. And as we go through all these words, and they're going to get more and more sophisticated, we'll bring clarity to what all the terms are. So Sauvignon Blanc, a grape. It's a white uh, wine, and Marlborough is a region in New Zealand. So let me see what I'm smelling. God, it's really difficult, you know. I feel like I've got an uncultured nose. Well, don't worry about it. The good thing is, is, is it quiet? Are you? Or what I mean is, are you struggling to get in any smell there, or are the aromas popping out of the glass? No popping, and I'm taking that to mean that my nose is untuned, but it might be that it's, it's a, a quiet wine. Well, it's interesting because 
Again, another good reason to start with Sauvignon Blanc. It's one of the less quiet wines around. Oh, dear. No, 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 Oliver. It's only episode one. It's all right. (laughs) (laughs) By episode 10, I'll be getting black stars. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've smelt, if you like, sort of um, more pronounced Sauvignon Blancs than this one. But it's clearly Sauvignon Blanc because can you get a smell of kind of, is it a sort of grassy smell? Do you know what I mean? Ah, A slightly herbaceous sort of smell? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm not imagining it just to not get into trouble. You, you feel a bit daft sometimes saying, well, hang on a minute, that smells like a, mm. that smells like a wet Tuesday in Hull. You feel a bit weird saying that because we, a little bit like when you're trying to describe music, there's mm. not really the vocabulary for it. But well, yes. of course it is, and it's difficult, Ol, and we are going to have a whole episode focusing on, on smell and taste, so we don't need to get hung up on it now. But the point is, if you think you can det- agree with me, there's some herbaceousness going on there. No, I do. Yeah, Good. Really that's I great. I mean, that's great. That's not me putting words into your mouth because that is a classic signature of Sauvignon Blanc generally. You'd Got say it. the same in France. Have a sip because oh, it's when God. you have a sip that often you get a bit, obviously a bit more than you're getting on your nose. I really don't think I'm imagining it. Although my mind is now wandering in a lovely meadow, uh, there is that, yeah, that slight taste. Of, it, it, is, it is grassy herbaceous. I think this is a fairly coolish expression of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc because it can be very exotic. And this is one of the marketing successes of New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, going back to your earlier question. When it hit the UK market in the 1980s, we'd never tasted anything like it before. Passion fruit and elderflower and all these funky things going on. This one, I'd say, is a little bit more restrained. No, it's definitely New Zealand, but it's a bit... It's got a touch of the French style. In other words, it's it's not quite as tropical fruity as some New Zealand um, Sauvignon Blancs can be. But I'm, I'm definitely now we're tasting it. Can you taste? Can you taste citrus? Can you taste gooseberry? Do you get a sense of the acidity of? Because you're asking about structure. One of the most important things that you can only get by tasting, not by smelling, is acidity. And acidity is often the backbone of the wine. Do you get a sense? Of acidity in this wine. Yes, one hundred percent, one hundred percent a sense of acidity, uh, and and a hundred percent citrus. Definitely, yeah. my gooseberries. I'm struggling with the gooseberries. I'm going to have to uh, have another go. Right. Well, you <laughs> need to go back to Yorkshire and have some of your mum mum's gooseberry pie. I can't say I'm getting gooseberries, but I'm hoping. I mean, what do you think? Do you think my palate might get trained a little over these weeks if I'm really, you know, concentrating on it? I think your palate will be in a better place, hopefully, in ten episodes time than <laughs> it is now. I mean. Obviously, you're not an experienced wine taster. That's why we're doing this podcast. This is episode one. We are talking about some basics. Just going back to acidity. And by the way, Sauvignon Blanc always has high acidity. It's one of the hallmarks of it. So if you were doing, as I have to do, these ghastly exams where you have to blind taste, not knowing what the thing is. If you take a sip and your cheeks get pulled in when you sip the wine, that... And if you do it now, have a sip and you'll actually feel your cheeks being pulled in by the acidity. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm sort of, sort of tingly. And a tingly, it tingles your tongue. And the other thing, which is really, really good thing to, to kind of highlight acidity. Have another little sip. Oh, blimey, I'm really getting through it. One thing I've forgotten is my spittoon. Oh, Oliver, your spittoon, schoolboy error. Spittoon, please, for the next episode. I've got mine. I haven't used it yet, actually. Here it is. Do a little sip again. Just keep it in your mouth. You don't need much. Mm-hmm. And then lean forward. Bollocks, I've swallowed it. Sorry. Put a bit in your mouth, mm. then lean forward with your chin as close to your chest as you can. Mm-hmm. And do you feel yourself dribbling? Mm. No, but I really wanted to. So it was pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, uh, what does this prove? Well, the point is, it's called the dribble test. If you take a bit yeah. in your mouth, swell it around, 
You can spit it out, absolutely. It'll be better if you spit it out. And then tell me if your mouth's watering. Funnily enough, my mouth is watering, even though I swallowed. It really, I'm salivating. Yeah, definitely. Your mouth is watering because the acidity of the wine is high. And your saliva buds are going crazy to try and neutralise some of that acidity. Nothing too remarkable about this, other than to say, if you, you know, want an indication of acidity, do the dribble test. If your mouth is watering, that's mouth-watering freshness. And that is being driven by the acidity of the wine. What about the finish all? Well, I mean, I'd love to comment if I knew what on earth you were talking about. How can a wine have a finish? This is how long do the flavours last in your mouth when you either... Uh, had a you know let some go down the old gullet or whether you've spat it out into your spittoon right so far 100 percent has gone down my gullet of of the best part of a largest glass so i feel a bit guilty about that because that was very quick i think the taste lasts that it seems to last quite a long time there is still a memory of the wine in my in my taste buds that's great and i'm still tasting that too and i spat a bit of wine out at least 30 seconds ago probably nearly a minute ago Rich, I, I, I might not sound it, but I am from Yorkshire, so I don't want to waste any of this. So I'm going to have the last, um, the last gulp. By the way, you will be pleased with me. I've got a glass of water to clean my palate and a fresh glass for the claret. Excellent. And yes, just the last word on the Sauvignon Blanc. And like most New Zealand Mar- Marlborough Sauvignon Blancs, this is just under £10. All our wines are from the Wine Society. And the quality level is pretty good. What we'll do now, all without further ado, I think we need to hear your corkscrew. It's a lovely Le Creuset corkscrew. I was having uh, dinner with a friend and uh, she brought this corkscrew out and uh, we were like, oh yeah, that is a nice bit of engineering. So let's see if it uh, pulls out the... Uh-huh. I'll just read the label out because the other thing about this wine business is the intimidation of the wine label. And this says the Society's Claret. So I know it's a claret and it says Bordeaux and I know that's a region. And then it says... Appellation Bordeaux Contrôlé. That is definitely printed on there to put me off and make me feel uh, confused. I know we're going to talk about the nomenclature of wine as we go along, but what does what does that mean, just out of interest? What, Appellation Contrôlé Bordeaux? Oui. Ah, yeah, it just means, you need to be careful here. Everyone associates it with quality, and often it is quality. What it is, is authenticity. It just tells you that that wine comes from Bordeaux and has been checked out by a panel and has been made legitimately. So it's a kind of, it's an assurance quality kite mark, if you like. So appellation means what exactly? Well, I mean, it's sort of a, a, the name of an area, a, a sort of, you know, you, you want to give a particular region. And again, we'll obviously talk about this when we talk in the next episodes about geography and stuff, uh, which is about defining areas that are suitable for winemaking. And this is when we introduce the concept of terroir. But let's not get into terroir in uh, episode one. No, I think what we will do is every label I'm going to go through and understand. And every time we come up with something new, that'll be interesting. So basically, it's a claret and it's got a stamp of approval, kite mark, if you will, saying this is definitely a particular grape type, which we'll talk about in a minute, from Bordeaux. And Bordeaux is almost like a trademark of uh, quality. Brilliant. And some of the best wines in the world, Ol, and some of the most expensive wines, sadly, that we're not tasting in this series, will come from Bordeaux. But what people forget is that 90% of Bordeaux wine is quite ordinary. I don't mean that pejoratively, but it's intended to be drunk young. And you'll find it in the supermarkets, often in in, um, France for three or four euros a bottle. Claret, by the way, is just an old-fashioned name for a a rather pale type of red wine that was, was quite fashionable hundreds of years ago it was called clare meant you could actually see through the glass can you see through the glass all 
with, I haven't with poured it yet. I'm I'm following your every instruction. Oh, so sorry. I haven't yeah, poured do, do the wine. Pour yeah. your <laughs> just remember that I'm basically like a Labrador, uh, desperate to please, and will just follow uh, your every instruction. Well, I can hear that fabulous pouring sound. Terrific. Oh, it looks beautiful. It, it just reminds me of my father. It really does. This it, colour it, reminds it, you of everything. your father and your yes. family Sunday lunches. <laughs> it reminds me of the colour of his nose. I didn't realise your father was a red. <laughs> oh, his nose was red. <laughs> I can't see through it. You can't see through it. Okay, so although it's a claret, literally it's not a claret, but I mean, that's where the name comes from. And just a very quick word on this Bordeaux thing. Gosh, the Brits love Bordeaux and our connections with Bordeaux, they go back centuries. And again, without boring everyone with a history lesson, there is a bit of relevance here with Bordeaux because around the time of Eleanor of Aquitaine and Henry II and all that sort of stuff, 100 years war, for about 300 years, Bordeaux was English. It was part of the English crown. And that's where the kind of trade routes and connections with Bordeaux came from. I dare say that's why we are drinking a wine called the Society's Claret, because it's just history. Let's have a little sniff. I never knew that. That's fascinating. Let's have a sniff and a sip. Okay. Okay, Ol, you're now an expert because you've sniffed and tasted one Marlborough New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. What do you think we're getting? There ain't no grass. There ain't no grass in a claret. Oh, okay, no grass. That's good. Rather, so rather than tell me what there isn't in, the, <laughs> no, you know, there's no gunpowder and no, there's, there's no, no rhubarb and no socks <laughs> and no uh, socks. There's no Alsatian, very okay. little tawny cat. Hang on. Well, there's some fruit. Surely there's mm-hmm. something fruity in there. It just smells a lot heavier. There feels like a lot more to it. I want to say plum, but I don't think that's right. Um, the olives, hang on, don't worry about right and wrong here. You know, I mean, this is a really important point. You know, people will have different ways of describing things and that's fine. By the way, you just said plums. I just think you're spot on. I think this is red, this is red plum. No, really? Yeah, I really do. That's amazing. I really, really do think that. I mean, what you might expect with a Bordeaux sometimes is maybe a bit of oak in the background, but this is a very simple claret. When we have our episode about winemaking, we'll realise that if you're using oak, it's going to possibly cost a bit more to make. And this is the most basic kind of claret that you'll find in the supermarket for around six or seven pounds. So this wine has been produced sort of on a, on a low cost level, if you like. And again, nothing wrong with that. Yes, I mean, it's not particularly big on the nose, I'd say. The New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc had more on the nose for me. This intensity on the nose is quite quiet. A little bit of red fruit and that sort of thing. But when you sip it... Gosh, what's happening? Are you? Sounds like you're shampooing a New England sheepdog. I'm just swelling the wine in my mouth. And it's all very gentle red fruit. The acidity, I think, is not as high as the Marlborough, but you wouldn't expect that. Marlborough, New Zealand, Sauvignon Blanc, as we said. High acidity, I think we're more like medium acidity here. So we said we were going to talk about the grape variety. I know it's a claret, and I know that's not a grape. I know where it's from. It's from Bordeaux. What are the, uh, the, the grapes that you'll find in a claret, Rich? with me you never get a completely straight answer but let's say predominantly merlot okay in this um claret but merlot is a black grape variety and you find it all over bordeaux and it gives lots of kind of round red fruity flavor so those red plums that you brilliantly picked out straight away are a classic signature if you like of merlot so a claret not only defines the region the word claret the name claret defines the region and the grape then well claret just tells you that it's from bordeaux 
Bordeaux's, oh, okay. the, Bordeaux's the only region that will have a claret. You remember that lovely line in 40 Towers, they don't know a Bordeaux from a claret. Yeah, my dad laughed at that. And I, I was like, oh, why is that funny? Now I know. Because a claret can only be from Bordeaux. Perfect. Absolutely nailed it, as usual. Could I just um, put out there bitter? It feels bitter. There's some sourness or bitterness, and not in an unpleasant way. Am I completely off the mark? And like you say, you can't be off the mark because our vocabulary is limited. No, I know what you mean. I mean, you've got to remember, this is a basic wine. So if you're getting a bit of bitterness, it's probably because the fruit isn't of optimum quality because this wine was made to be produced on a very large scale. It will have been made at a pretty simple level. They will have used as few human beings in the process as possible because human beings cost money. So these grapes would have just been gathered by machines on a particular day when some of the fruit was ripe and some of the fruit was probably not quite so ripe. It doesn't matter. It all comes in. It, it's been done in bulk. This was just fermented, and we'll talk about all this later on, in uh, probably stainless steel. No oak was used. It was left for a little while, but bottled young, intended for early consumption. It's a seven-pound bottle of claret. And um, that's why you're getting a bit of bitterness. And frankly, as well, OK, we haven't got another red wine tonight to compare it against. The concentration of the fruit here is not high. I mean, there clearly is red plum fruit in it, but it's a little bit generic. It's not really, really ripe and concentrated. You wouldn't say this wine tastes concentrated, would you? I don't think so. I don't think, like I say, my vocabulary on this is limited, as is my experience. Mm. But no, I wouldn't say it was full in the sense that, like when you hear a musical chord, which has many notes in it, it's very rich, like on an organ as opposed to on a on a violin or something. But there's something you said earlier, which, which really resonated with me and answered a question that I sort of didn't know I wanted to know the answer of. But when you're getting into wine, you think, what makes a cheap wine and what makes a good wine and what makes a bad wine? And why is this so varied in prices? And can you really pay £100 for a bottle of wine? You, you, you said about mass production and it's just like, right, let's get, this, let's get these grapes out of the field into the first part of the process of um, of turning them into wine. And you're going to be non-selective about which of the actual physical fruit you take. And there's an implication there that in some of the more expensive wines, you'll be far more careful about the actual stage of ripeness of the individual bunches, if you like, that you are going to put in your wine, as opposed to just some sort of mass-produced that just take everything off the field. Is that correct? No, no, you're spot on. And you're jumping ahead slightly. So well done for being a keen student. We'll be addressed ah, later, later in the series. This is all about human decisions and stuff you can do in the vineyard that can actually have an influence on the wine that we ultimately taste. And a lot of that comes down to human resources, good old HR. And guess what? The, the cost implications that go with that and quality and what you can do with quality. It's very easy just to zoom up to the top end of stuff and look at the very best wines and get really excited about it. But the reality is most people will never taste them because they're too expensive. I think what is interesting, and maybe we're going to discover this during this series, is a kind of point where you can find wines that have really lovely quality, but are, they may not be rock bottom prices, but they're potentially within most people's budgets. And for me, and for the wine industry, that is the most important price point. How far can people go? How far can you take people along this wine journey without killing their wallets or, or people turning their backs saying, well, that's all very well, but what's the point because I'm never going to be able to afford it and I suppose you find your own level don't you you find your own level you at which um, you can get you... enormous pleasure out of something that is affordable to you yeah no no you no you absolutely do oh we're drawing to the end of uh, episode one how does it feel yeah, even better than I expected to be honest uh, one 
claret is something I've tasted ever since I was eight. So we're <laughs> nearly close to half a century and it, it still brings me home. And that's a lovely part of it as well. However, I realised from talking to you what the limitations of the claret are that is in my glass at the moment. I'm starting to understand why because I am quite inquisitive and uh, the system of wine to me is incredibly complex. And I just want to find out some of the variables that go into making a wine, quote, good, expensive or, or not so good. And, and where that sort of beautiful sweet spot is, where it's both good and and um, and within the price range. Similarly with the Sauvignon Blanc as well. Um, I liked it. It tastes like home. And I'm just starting to get into uh, why that tastes like that and what is the if you like the the lexicon of language i can use to describe wine so actually better than i expected in terms of learning some interesting stuff like just that point about if you take all the grapes in off the field obviously you're going to get better and worse grapes and you're going to get a product that is that's good enough but not the absolute best it can be and i think we'll learn and we'll build on that knowledge and i like the idea that we're building a wine list from scratch from the very basics to something a bit more interesting and and, um, and sophisticated so loved it can't wait for the next one and i think maybe you can reveal now the the subject of the next episode and uh, the wines that we're going to taste because they're they're already in my cellar in the next episode we're going to be talking a lot more about climate but in terms of the wines we're going to be tasting we'd love people to taste along with us we are going to be tasting chardonnay from chile from an area called the limari valley in northern part of chile or the northern part of the wine region of chile it is available obviously we're drinking wine society wines but people can probably find these in their supermarkets i should think somewhere like waitrose in the uk or others will do something similar so a chardonnay from chile if you can get a limery one brilliant if not another chilean um, chardonnay would be great and we're also on the red front we are going to be tasting one of my favorites we're going to be tasting cabernet franc from the loire valley so again if you can uh, get hold of a loire valley uh, red an appellation like uh, chinon uh, or um, champagne saumur or bourgogne gosh it's hard pronouncing these french words sometimes that would be great but I should say we're going to put all these details of the wines we've tasted tonight and the wines that are coming up on our new website because, oh, haven't you just created a website? I found some space on the internet and they've given it to me. And um, we go, yes, we've got our own website. Um, shall I reveal the uh, URL? Uh, please do. So if you type in www.winelistpod, or wrong word, .com, and you'll see me and Richard's faces um, smiling back at you. And yeah, we'll put all the details of the wines that we've tasted on there and what's coming up in the next episode. And of course, a link to listening to this episode as well. The URL is winelistpod.com. And it's our Facebook handle and our Twitter handle as well. We've got a handle on it, which is kind of very cool. good. So, uh, okay. Oh, my dear boy. So lovely to share New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and good old fashioned claret. Remind me of, and you, of your mum and dad and, and roast dinners in the 1970s. Um, <laughs> I think on that note, it's better be sort of farewell, old chap, and see you next time. Indeed. I look forward to it, Richard. Thanks very much, and uh, goodbye for now. <laughs>